Welcome to Inside India by UTI International. I'm your host, Ben Haywood. Join me as I embark on an exciting journey through the new and modern India. From the Dabawalas to the Tatas and the Ambanis, let's see what the future may hold for the world's largest democracy. In this series, we feature conversations with business and economic leaders who have lived and breathed the story of India as they tell us their version of what makes this such a compelling and exciting growth opportunity in the 21st century. Stay tuned. The aviation industry in India has emerged as one of the fastest growing sectors in the country over the past few years. Robust demand, policy support by the government, and an increase in investment are some of the key drivers facilitating the growth of aviation in India. Currently, India has the third largest aviation industry in the world and the fifth largest market for aircraft passengers, both domestically and internationally. And when it comes to the domination of aviation in India, Indigo is one of the largest passenger airlines with the highest market share. The company primarily operates in India's domestic air travel market as a low-cost carrier with a focus on three pillars of offering low fares, being on time, and delivering a hassle-free experience. And today, to discuss all things Indian aviation, I'm joined by William Bolter, the Chief Commercial Officer of Indigo. Willie has been in the airline industry for over three decades and has worked all over the world with airlines including Cathay Pacific, Virgin Atlantic, South African Airways, Etihad, and an Emirates-sponsored team in Angola. Willie was also the CEO of Russia's first low-cost carrier, Sky Express. I'm Ben Hayward, and you're listening to Inside India. Welcome, Willie. Thank you so much for joining me on the Inside India podcast. Well, it's a pleasure to be here, Ben. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited about this episode, Willie. You and I have spoken a couple of weeks ago, and I said it then. I'll say it now on on the podcast. I'm a a bit of a closet av geek, so I love all things to do with um, airlines, aircraft, air travel. So this is, uh, don't tell the other guests, but this is going to be a bit of a favorite episode of mine. Okay, that's great to hear. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get straight into it. You've had a very kind of long, successful, colorful career in the airline industry. You've worked all over the world. Could you give us a little bit more detail on on what you've done so far and and how you've ended up in India with Indigo and indeed what you're doing today um, with the airline? Sure. My career started way back when I left university in England and I actually joined the SWA group in Hong Kong who own uh, Cathay Pacific. And I was lucky enough to spend 20 years with them working mainly in Asia and North America. And then I left Cathay after about 20 years, as I say, and went down to South Africa for a couple of years. And then I was headhunted by Virgin Atlantic. And I had uh, six, seven happy years in Gatwick, which is where Virgin's head office is, as the commercial director there. And, you know, we expanded the airline by about 50% while I was there, which was great fun. And then I went actually to Russia, perhaps a topical place. And I spent a year working in the low-cost business with a company called Sky Express in, during the global financial crisis, actually. So the last time that oil got to $140. And then since then, I've worked in the Middle East, in Africa with an Emirates-sponsored team in Angola for two and a half years. And then I've been here at Indigo the last four years. I've known, in fact, the owner, one of the owners, Rahul Bhatia, for about 20 years. And I was coming to the end of my assignment in Africa, and, and he called up four years ago, and that's why I'm here. My responsibilities really 
encompass the international sort of sales, the uh, cargo operation, also marketing, PR, the rewards program, and a couple of other things. And so it's a fairly broad perspective that I have at the airline. And I love the airline business. As you mentioned in the introduction, you know, it's just a very sort of attractive business to be employed in. I always say that airlines are great to manage and they're fun to manage, but they're not always the greatest things to own. So investors have to be careful. <laughs> but it's a, a fascinating story, journey you've kind of had so far, Willie. And uh, yeah, I'm very envious. So I lived in India, as, as my listeners, I think, have now established and, and obviously traveled on Indigo a fair bit when I was there. I was always very, very impressed with the airline. Clean, new planes, always runs to time. So I kind of, I'm very familiar with it, but I guess those that probably aren't so familiar with Indigo, could you share a little bit more about what it is you aim to do, what you stand for? Indigo was founded uh, 15 years ago, and it came in with basically three crucial sort of pillars of the business, which still remain the same. And the first was to be on time. And at that point in sort of Indian aviation, the concept of on-time performance wasn't really that well understood by the airlines or perhaps by some of the customers too. But we established very quickly a reputation for the rigor with which we operated our aircraft. And I think Indigo became very well known for its on-time. In fact, we had an advertising campaign uh, years ago where IST, or Indian Standard Time, was replaced by Indigo Standard Time. And that's been one of our pillars, which has been critical. And still today, if you talk to people in India and mention Indigo, they will, as often as not, say the on-time airline. The second pillar was really hassle-free service. Again, in India, as you know, and your listeners will know, getting stuff done can be full of sort of unpredictability and a certain amount of hassle and sometimes confusion and particularly travel. So again, it was one of our pillars to have hassle-free and courteous service. So although we're a low-cost airline, and indeed that's been the secret of our success, that we had a very good business model for the country, we are very customer service focused as well. And in that respect, we're different to press one or two other low-cost airlines around the world. Service is critical to us. And then the third pillar related to that, it was affordable fares to make sure that we could give our customers basically cheap travel across India. And we've succeeded in all three of these aspects. And I think that's what's really driven the up to COVID, up the very generally very profitable years of Indigo. And the fact that now we're worth uh, on the stock market something in the region of 10 billion US dollars, I think a little bit down at the moment. But our stock price has done very well over those 15 years. And there's been a lot of value created. It's a great story. And like I said, a, a great airline. And more on, on COVID and the business model in a little bit. But first, taking a step back, and I guess the reasons for, for kind of the founders of the airline to establish a, an airline in India, kind of the macro picture, there is clearly plenty of excitement around the air travel story in India. Whenever I go out and speak to investors about India, one of the questions that always gets asked is, is travel and air travel and, and the sector no pun intended, plenty of runway ahead. On many occasions, your customers um, are experiencing flying for the first time. Perhaps they're taking a flight instead of a train or a bus. 
Can you just elaborate for us a little more on on this growth potential of India? Is it domestic? Is it opening up new routes? Is it international? Is it both? What's the game? Yeah, I mean, I think, again, this the brilliance of the founders 15 years ago was to introduce an airline with the right model for a market that was going to go through rapid expansion. I mean, even they probably didn't anticipate just the level of growth that the Indian aviation market went through in some of the years. But there's a sort of rule of thumb in the airline business that aviation airline demand grows at roughly double GDP. And now sometimes, you know, there are people who say, no, it's a bit less than that. It's one and a half times. Others would say it depends on the market, obviously. But in broad terms, if your GDP is growing as India's has by 7 8%, um, 9% over the last sort of 10 years, roughly, the aviation airline market has grown by about double that, by 15 plus percent. And Indigo has always ordered aircraft in large numbers and has grown its capacity at least equal to the airline market and, and sometimes above. So that, for instance, I think the first year I was here, we grew our capacity at uh, roughly 24%, which was a large amount and, and involves a number of new aeroplanes coming in every month. But it proved right because the market, we were able to stimulate the market by offering these affordable low fares. We were able to stimulate the air market sufficiently and to make money doing it. And you mentioned you know, the trains and so on. I mean, recently we have had, I think, quite a lot of success, even during COVID, of bringing people away from the trains into the air, where, of course, the time saving is enormous. Trips that would take from the south of India to the north, you know, would take maybe a couple of days by train. We obviously do in a couple of hours. And people are beginning to pay a premium for that. And with the general economic growth, obviously, there are more people coming into the sort of numbers who routinely will travel by air. And that number is roughly I would say it's hard to get proper data, but let's say there's probably 40 or 50 million people who can envisage traveling by air. I think the year before COVID, we carried 70 million as Indigo, of which probably you know, high 20s or, or 30 million, there was 25 or 30 million unique customers. So that's the sort of scale of the business one's talking about. And all the time with uh, economic development and generally people getting wealthier and with a huge population in India, you can see that the uh, propensity to travel will increase. And I think we're in pretty good shape for the future. As we come out of COVID, we expect these growth rates for the, for the market as a whole. I think the market as a whole will, will, will grow again in a similar way. Yeah, it's a very kind of exciting opportunity road ahead, I guess, for you guys. And and digging into the business model a little bit more, it's a, it's clearly a very well known, tried and tested model. The Ryanair, EasyJet, Wiz, Norwegian, AirAsia, it's been done all over the world many times. And you guys, it's no different, I guess. Big big plane orders. Uh, what is it? Two hundred and fifty odd, three twenty one neos a, a few years ago. Yeah. But how is it different? How's the business model different in India? Buy a lot of planes, sell tickets at a relatively affordable price. But clearly, in a market like India, which is very price sensitive, it, you've got to adapt the business model a little bit. I think it is. And I think probably the key to Indigo's success in what is a very competitive market has been 
the boldness of the founders and the board now to go after expansion quickly. And we certainly saw that in the years running up to COVID. As I mentioned, you know, some years growing over 20%. And what's been in- encouraging is that even in COVID era, the last two years, we've been able to expand our network within India from, I think, about 60 places we were flying to before COVID to 72 or 73 today. So that's, again, got us into smaller so-called tier two or tier three towns and cities in India, and again, enabled us to access the first-time flyers from, from those destinations and to use our fleet, not just of the A320s and 321s, but we also have 35 ATRs, uh, turboprops, which have been great in developing those smaller markets and connecting those smaller markets through uh, hubs like Hyderabad or Bangalore to our Airbus fleet. So that the access to India generally has improved a lot as we've grown. And it's very much in our mission to try to improve access for uh, the population of India and to basically encourage sort of social cohesion through that, where people who are working away from home and so on, or students studying away from home, where Indigo, you know, is able to provide that essential transportation. Yeah, it makes sense. And is there still a degree of, I mean, I know airlines like EasyJet and Wiz, they make a lot of money on selling extras, booking your flight, buying a breakfast on board. Is that your game as well in India or is that less of a factor? Yeah. I mean, our ancillary revenue is obviously important, but it's fair to say that the levels of ancillary revenue generally in India are much lower than they are in Europe or in North America. And the reason for that, I think, is simply the, the level of the economy, the amount of disposable income around is still a lot shorter than it is in Europe or North America. And, and people who've already shelled out for a flight are reluctant to add further expense to that, to that journey in many cases. I mean, obviously, as I say, ancillary revenue is still an important part of our business, but it's uh, at a lower level than you'd find comparatively if you look at other low-cost airlines around the world. But our levels are, they stand up well in competition to immediate competitors here. And I guess your cost base is also probably lower than airlines in in the Western world, similar competitor airlines. Yes and no. I mean, in terms of labor cost, clearly we have an advantage in India at the moment where labor, even pilots, cockpit crew, cabin crew, are relatively cheaper than they they would be in other parts of the world. But of course, the major cost in any airline is uh, fuel. And you know, fuel makes up, depending on the price and, and the year and so on, I mean, it makes up anything between 35 to 45% of most airlines, well, most Indian airlines' cost base. And in this regard, we are taxed very heavily, much heavier than any other domestic nation around the world, I think, in terms of both local state taxes and uh, general excise tax on fuel. So that is a bit of a handicap, not only because of the absolute price, but also because we pay for fuel effectively in dollars and the price moves according to the dollar. And of course, the exchange rate is also a factor. Aircraft leases are all in dollars. And so actually running an airline in India is very, very challenging. 
And although we've done well, we could never at all be complacent. And we've seen in the last couple of weeks with uh, obviously the Ukraine issue that fuel again has gone through one of these spikes, as it commonly does, and airlines bear the brunt of that. Yeah, challenging time for everyone. And I guess hard to pass on the cost too quickly to, to the end consumer. Yeah, that's always the challenge. And, and some airlines, of course, hedge their fuel. We don't, uh, we have a policy not to hedge. And in our view, if uh, fuel spikes, then, then we do look to cover it to recover the cost through increased yields. And uh, at times in the past, we've had fuel surcharges and so on. But as I say, we just have a, a policy not to hedge. And so, we're, yeah, that's how we go forward. Understood. I think, you know, it'd be remiss not to talk about COVID. We've come up a couple of times so far. Um, a real challenge for all businesses, but airlines in particular, all over the world. How was Indigo's experience of COVID? You continued to buy aircraft, I see, during the COVID, kind of last couple of years of COVID. Are we seeing a snapback in demand post-COVID? And how was it for you guys out there? I think, obviously, COVID, as everywhere, was a terrible shock to health systems and populations all over the world. And India was certainly no exception to that and was particularly hard hit in the so-called second wave, which was in, in May 2020, April, May 2021. So through the various waves of COVID, airline operations went up and down depending on the demand. We did have a full sort of shutdown, at the, the lockdown at the beginning in the first wave. And then we were very much affected in the second wave. And indeed, more recently, in December, January, with the Omicron variant of the virus, again, demand dropped off quite substantially, and again, took its toll on our airline. But I think where we've stood out is that Indigo has maintained a very consistent view that this thing would be temporary, and that we would get through it. We were fortunate in a sense, or prudent in one could say in, in other ways, that we came into this with a pretty healthy balance sheet. We had around a billion dollars of free cash at the time. Obviously, that was depleted a little bit during COVID. But we've now got back into a position where we're, we're replenishing that cash. And I think that that really gave us the buffer we needed to continue with our consistent purchases of aircraft. We didn't change our orders at all. We continued to take delivery of the A320neo and the A321neo. And indeed, I think in 2020, in the sort of first year of COVID, we were actually Airbus's largest customer in terms of number of hulls delivered because we did not postpone or delay any orders and that's continued since. And we continue through 2021, 2022, we continue to take aircraft from Airbus as scheduled. And at the same time, we've been returning the CEO aircraft. And this is obviously having a dramatic effect on our, our fuel burn. I mean, the, the NEO is, is worth between 15 and 20% of better fuel burn. And so as we've replaced CEOs with NEOs, we're getting the benefit of that. So we've maintained a very sort of consistent approach. Looking at other parts of the business, we've sort of become the lean, clean flying machine as our marketing has it. We've been 
very focused on making sure as we went through COVID that customers would choose us because we already had a reputation for being a very clean airline with very new aircraft. And we just really built on that. And everything we were doing in terms of precautions and PPE and so on was designed to make sure the customers felt you know, safe traveling with us against uh, traveling with anyone else or, or indeed traveling by train. And I think we were broadly very successful in that to the extent that, as I mentioned, we've built more stations into our domestic network and we're now operating at 100% basically of where we were pre-COVID domestically. So, yeah, I mean, COVID period was very challenging for all of us. We had to, you know, make salary reductions, have leave without pay and so on. But I think we can say that we, we got through it in pretty good shape compared to certainly our peers. And you mentioned the, the clean green tagline there, and it, it's a nice segue into ESG and kind of, you know, your listed business. I'm sure you come under a degree of scrutiny from your investor base about steps you're taking to mitigate kind of the pollution and things like that. It's tough because there are airlines and air travel in, in the Western world have enjoyed a long runway, 70 odd years of, of growth without these pressures. You're a relatively young airline having to grow with all sorts of challenges, a higher oil price, pressures on, on how to clean up your business. You mentioned that the NEOs there, which are more fuel efficient and kinder on the environment. But what kind of other steps are you taking to make the business greener going forward? I think it's a challenge for all of us in aviation generally, although really the polluting effect of, of aviation worldwide is 2 to 3% or whatever of um, carbon and so on. It's clearly an industry that attracts a lot of attention. It's a very high profile industry and it's one which many people think can adjust or can be, if the industry is not going to adjust, people are are going to stop flying in, in some quarters. That's been sort of expressed as a way to deal with it. But I think the aviation industry has always, well, in the last 10 or 15 years, has taken this threat very seriously because obviously we don't want to be in a position where people you know, feel that they shouldn't fly because of the environmental impact. And although it's very difficult and very complex, I think the business has got together generally to deal with these perceptions. And you mentioned the NEOs. I mean, yes, getting new, more fuel-efficient aircraft is actually the biggest single thing that one can do as an airline. And we've certainly played our part in that. I mean, our fleet age and so on is very, very young. Um, we generally take aircraft on around six-year leases and return them. And as I mentioned, we are, we're, we're transforming our fleet into the NEO, which is, is going to save you know, 15 or 20% of the fuel burn. And that's what we're doing right now. Obviously, we look ahead. And the whole issue of sustainable aircraft fuel is, is one, or SAF as it's called. SAF, uh, there's a lot of research and development going on. It's going to take an awful lot of investment before it becomes really substantial part of the sort of fuel inputs. But we are, we are doing our bit with that. And we recently had the delivery of an aircraft from Toulouse, which was using a mixture of normal Jet A1 and also SAF Jet A1 fuel. And we had a, a bit of publicity around that. And just to put across the point that we're very well aware of the issue. And we as Indigo, we want to take a lead in India 
and try to help come up with the solutions. There's been a lot of talk about hydrogen-powered aircraft or electric aircraft. I think realistically for civil aviation, that's in terms of commercial aviation where one's carrying tens of or hundreds of people. It's going to take a good couple of decades before that kind of technology becomes available. So that's why we're pretty focused on, on SAF itself, but we're also focused on carbon offset schemes and anything else that we can do in that area to try and help the environment. But it's clearly an important issue. We just published last year our first sort of ESG report, and we've got obviously a team internally working on these issues. And the second iteration, I think, will be more comprehensive and we'll, we'll sort of spell out in more, in more detail what we're doing, because clearly it's an issue which is of importance to investors. Dragging it back now to the kind of the central theme of the podcast, which is India and long-term growth and all of that good stuff, and linking that to aviation, we talked a lot about your domestic routes. A large chunk of, of that India growth story is Indians leaving India for the first time, yeah. um, traveling to different parts of the world. The Indian airline industry is fiercely competitive. We've seen Tata retake Air India over quite recently, and they've announced big plans. Have you got plans to kind of develop an international network? I know you do fly internationally at the moment. And does that look like wide body at some stage? Or is it going to be kind of sticking to your business model that you've executed so well over the last 15 years and, and just kind of growing that kind of sort of medium haul, as it were? Yeah, pre-COVID, we had actually grown our international capacity to 25% of our network. And we in sort of two spurts, one when we originally went international in sort of 2011, and then in 2018. And in 2011, it was more to do with sort of the close by points and the Gulf. And then in 2018-19, we went into places like China, Vietnam, into Saudi Arabia, into Turkey, Istanbul, and sort of spread our wings a bit further. So the furthest east we were going was Hong Kong, and the furthest west was, was Istanbul, all within the sort of six-hour flying time of the current fleet, the A321 and A320. Now, our plan going forward is actually to take a number of the latest version of the A321, which is the extra long range or XLR as it's called. And we will be deploying that on missions which would take us into the sort of eight, nine hour sector. So the chance of getting into Europe and also into East Asia, Northern China, Korea, and even West Japan. So we've got a plan which continues to develop the international portion of our business, principally because, as you say, the market is there and the domestic market is probably more competitive in a way than the international is. So historically, the international profitability has been a bit better than domestic. Now, that goes up and down and markets change over time. So I can't predict that for the future. But historically, that's been the case. And indeed, that's why we increased the international side to 25% pre-COVID. And that will continue to add to that as time goes on. So we're looking at destinations like uh, Nairobi in the sort of shorter term within the next uh, year or two. And indeed, Indonesia, Denpasar, potentially probably Jakarta in the immediate term. And, and I think probably 
doesn't take a genius to work out they're obviously big Indian diaspora in, in these markets as well, the Gulf, Nairobi. Yeah. And so probably servicing that diaspora is is a relatively low-hanging fruit for you guys. And I think it's the Gulf India air route is one of the most popular air routes in the world. I used to live in Dubai and I, I'm sure I heard that said several times. It might be a myth though. Yeah, no, it's certainly in the top 10, <laughs> I think. Yeah, there's individual city pairs, but if you took all the routes out of the Gulf into India, then it's certainly probably in the top three of major markets. Yeah. Fascinating discussion. And like I said at the top, I could talk to you for hours about this. And I know you haven't got hours. So we'll we'll look to wrap things up here. But before we do, I think the last question that I ask all my guests is what one thing would you like my listeners to think differently about India going forward? What myth would you bust? You've lived all over the world, so you must have heard all kinds of weird and wacky things about the perception of India. What one thing would you like to kind of change? Probably people need to appreciate the scale of the place more than anything else and what that means in terms of potential economic expansion in particular. There's such a huge population here, but the educational system is, I'm not saying it's perfect by any means, but education of Indians is of a very high level. And so you're seeing all the sort of technical skills that you could wonder coming out of India now. And this huge expansion of startup uh, digital companies, essentially using AI or other new technologies, which I think India has an absolutely unique sort of ability with its with the breadth of its population in terms of the English language ability again, and having that excellent educational system. And I'm, I guess I'm talking mainly of the top end, the Indian Institutes of Technology and so on. There is just limitless potential almost for that uh, digitization to be driven almost from India, particularly with some of the trade issues and so on with China. I think India really has almost limitless potential in that regard. And maybe the airline industry is a little bit old-fashioned in a way, but we are trying to digitize our own business in a way which reflects the Indian society generally. And India, even now, if you look at the way that they've handled their national ID um, or the way that they handled COVID and the vaccination certificates and so on, I mean, these are hundreds of millions of people and it's all been handled you know, by the technology infrastructure of India, which is very powerful. I mean, for all the old sort of bureaucracy and so on, there's still a bit of that left, but just there's the way that things have moved on here. And I think that that's maybe something that not all your listeners will be aware of. I think it's an excellent point and something that I certainly like to hammer home whenever I'm speaking to kind of people about India. But we'll leave it there. Thank you so much for coming on the show and, and talking with me today. I'd be fascinated to see how the business plays out in the months and years to come, looking out for those new expansions. And who knows, maybe one day we'll be flying from Europe to India on an Indigo plane. Yes, indeed, Ben. Well, thank you very much. I've enjoyed talking to you today. and hope that everyone finds it a little bit useful anyway. <laughs> no, I'm sure they have. Thanks, Willie. You have been listening to Inside India with me, Ben Haywood. If you like what you have heard, make sure to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or indeed, wherever you might listen. Don't forget to leave a review and a rating and tell us about your favorite episode. 
We will be back with a brand new episode in two weeks' time. Until then, stay safe.